0: This evening, I'd like for you to turn to Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this afternoon, and he'd asked me when I started Isaiah, because he said, well, that's a long book. I said, I don't remember, but I'll go look. And I had my big archive of notes there and i started in april of 2006 so i suppose that was what two years ago <laughs> it's been a it's been quite a journey going through the book of of isaiah we still have a few chapters to go but we're nearing the end isaiah 62 let's read the first three verses and then let's uh, pray isaiah
1: 62
0: for zion's sake i will not hold my peace And for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for the privilege of an open Bible. The blessing and the freedom of being able to read and to study your word. We ask, Father, for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit. That we with willing hearts and minds will understand, Lord, this passage tonight. And how it is fitting in the very place it is in all of our studies so far. We are grateful to you, Lord, for your love for us we're grateful to you Lord for giving us the opportunity to sit at your feet we pray Father that this will be a time of refreshment and encouragement that we might go forth from this place to continue to be a light in a dark place and a hope in hopeless times. I ask, Lord, for that blessing of yours upon each and everyone who is here today. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. More than likely, some of us have heard the statement, whether made sincerely or otherwise, by Christians, or or maybe we've said it ourselves, but the phrase is, God isn't finished with me yet. Yep, we've said it, or we've heard it. Well, there is certainly a lot of truth to that statement when you consider that we are all, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're all works in progress. And we know this by comparison and contrast. You know, we oftentimes start things we don't finish. You're probably thinking, if you've been here long enough, you're probably thinking, oh no, here he goes again talking about his garage and all the stuff that needs to be thrown away, which at one point was seven years ago moved from one house to another and two years four years later don't add it up but it's been a while we start projects and we don't finish them most of the time we might finish a few but let me just say that the, that the Lord isn't like that and, and this is the good news Okay, the Lord isn't like that I mean he plans on finishing the work that he's done and is doing in each and every one of us So be encouraged by that. God's working in us. Whether He started with you just a few months ago, a few weeks ago, or a few years ago, He's still working His work. He's still doing His work in us. At the same time, we get impatient with unfinished work or things. Right? We sometimes don't finish, and then we get impatient when others don't finish things that we would like to see. Happen at a certain time. Well, have, have you ever watched a TV program that uh, that really draws you in, and the story being so intense, and you you wonder how they're going to, end you know, how the story's going to end? And, and when all of a sudden you see the words "to be continued," right? You just love that, don't you? To be continued. What a letdown! <laughs> you have to you have to wait till next week to see what happens. Dun 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 to be continued, you know, one whole week. Well, sometimes, sometimes we hit spots in our lives where it looks as if things are going to end on a really bad note. But hold on. God isn't finished. But He will finish. He will finish what He began in each and every one of us. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. By the way, I've been so moved by that last phrase, the day of Jesus Christ. I I say it a lot. I, I, I say it a lot in my prayers, you probably notice sometimes. Because I'm looking for the day of Jesus Christ. The day of his return for his church. The day of his return to begin to settle all the accounts beyond that day to the very end. But God's going to finish what he began. And I mention all of this because we're continuing with prophecies here in, in chapter 62 of Isaiah that are focused on the time of Jesus return and, and specifically these prophecies are aimed at the city of Jerusalem uh, you know there was a tremendous need to offer reassurance to the believing remnant of God's people who would soon experience the babylonian captivity that, that God's promises concerning that holy city would would indeed be fulfilled the lord had given the wonderful assurance of salvation through the coming Savior, what we studied for so long uh, in Isaiah 53 especially. But now there was this need to be reassured. Lord, we just got the sign that said to be continued. When they were taken into captivity. When they were taken away from their home. When they were taken away from the very place where God had made for them to worship Him. And they probably wondered, is God finished with us? Consider our day and time, the day and time in which we live. By the way, I'm I'm wanting you to to understand that even the prophecies that we find in the scriptures tonight, the scriptures in Isaiah, are, are things that we can also apply to our lives. That's why I was saying, you know, that God's not finished with us. Because He's not finished with Israel yet either. So consider the day and the time in which we live. With all the oppression, with all the suffering and the war and the death and the evil that is in this world. We as believers in Jesus Christ have that yearning for His return. We long for God's reign on this earth. But there are things that have yet to occur. And, and those specifically apply to Israel... For example, the great revival of the Jewish people in their homeland. I know that they're on their way in. As a matter of fact, when we go to Israel, you see a lot of Jews there. (laughs) They're going back home. But they haven't had that great revival yet. Hasn't happened. Many of them are in the land, unbelieving in their God. Secondly, Jerusalem becoming the holy city of God. A city that is truly righteous. Oh, we've been through the streets of the city of Jerusalem. And sitting right smack dab in the middle of all Jerusalem. Are two mosques. In what is called the Temple Mount. Unrighteous and unclean and unholy to the Jewish people. But the fact of the matter is. A city without peace. In the midst of a city that is called The city of peace. Yerushalayim. Shalom is in that name. Hasn't happened yet. But let's remember something. God isn't finished with Israel yet. And while some have written them off, consider how God feels about his own people. Look at verse one of our text here in Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, Zion is Jerusalem. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. Isn't that a beautiful statement from God? By the way, some people think that this might have been just the the thoughts of Isaiah himself. But these are words of the Lord about his own city. He says, I will not hold my peace. I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness. And her salvation is a lamp that burns. You see, the Lord Himself is saying that He will not be silent, He will not be quiet or still or even inactive until Jerusalem is safe and restored. That is the promise that God has made. We say that God isn't finished with us yet. Well, He still has a lot to go, but you know, we just read a promise that said He's going to finish it. The same has to apply to Jerusalem. Because of the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of His Word, the faithfulness of His promises, He says that He's not going to be silent until, until Jerusalem is safe and restored. Remember that Isaiah prophesied in a time when Jerusalem was still functioning as a city, but was spiritually corrupt, and he was looking forward to the time when Jerusalem would be desolate because she would be conquered by the Babylonians. And so prophetically, He speaks comfort, and He speaks assurance to its discouraged and downcast citizens. God is not going to rest until Jerusalem is restored in a radiant righteousness. And I want you to notice this linking between righteousness and salvation, because He's not going to rest until that city is restored in radiant righteousness. And then He says that her salvation will be as a lamp that burns bright. Righteousness and salvation. Seventeen times in the Scriptures, righteousness and salvation are linked together. Actually a few more times, but uh, in in these particular terms, righteousness and salvation are linked together. Seventeen times. Many of those references are, by the way, in the book of Isaiah. But consider the joining of righteousness and salvation in the following prophecy of Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah 23 for just a moment. Jeremiah 23 verses 5 and 6. There it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness, notice, in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell safely. That is the combination of the two separate nations that really are one. Now this is His name by which He will be called. Yahweh Tzitkenu. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Notice. Their salvation... And there's righteousness. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell safely. And his name is called righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Problem today in the world. The world in general has no righteousness whatsoever. Because they have no right standing before God... their appeals to various gods of all kinds of, uh, of thinking or all kinds of philosophies or all kinds of religions uh, usually fall very, very short because within them is, is, is a, a righteousness that is not based upon moral, godly character. Part of the problem within the, the church today is that many times preachers have gotten away from preaching righteousness. And they preach things that seem to please or comfort the people without leading them in the right direction toward God, who is a God of righteousness. And who, and who cares about how we live before Him. Even the Apostle Paul himself joins the thoughts of righteousness and salvation together think about Romans 10 verse 10 when Paul writes for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation we have to get out of the thinking that that there's a salvation without righteousness we have to get out of the thinking that there's a salvation that we can come to Jesus but we don't have to be righteous in our lives or we don't have to live right or we don't have to live holy before God it doesn't make sense does it That's why salvation and righteousness are so linked together, as they are. And Paul is saying that we need to bring into agreement our confession and our life. We need to bring into agreement our confession and our life. The mouth and the heart need to be in harmony with one another. It's not a matter of just saying you're a Christian, and then living the way you want. But it's confessing with the mouth and believing in your heart. You see, what was one of the biggest problems that Israel had? What were they they being warned about all the time? They were being warned of just giving lip service to God. You come to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Throughout all the prophets, you go all the way to the end, to Malachi, the last chapter, or the last book, I should say, of the Old Testament, in the Christian Old Testament. And you read through that small book. You realize that God is coming down on His people for making up the rules, for trying to take God on His own terms with their offerings. So they were showing some sense of lip service to God. We're going through the motions, Lord, but their hearts weren't in it. Take, for example, one of the things that they used to do uh, in Israel when their hearts were far from God and the, all they were doing was offering, you know, uh, offering words to God. They believed in the tithe. This is something that you can see in the, in the book of Malachi. They believed in the tithe. Every, every tenth thing, you know, was to belong to the Lord. So they would line up their sheep, for example. This is just an example. But they would line up their sheep, for example, one through ten... And on the tenth one, they put their weakest and ugliest little sheep. So they would pass over this rod, you know, under the rod, I mean, they would put a rod and and they would pass one, two, three, four, five. Here's the tenth. It's oh sorry, Lord, it's the it's the weakest one we got, but it's yours. It's the tenth. That's lip service. I mean, that's just that's just going through motions. You see, we do, we almost do the same thing in our giving today. We give God the worst, not the best. And that's what God is saying to his people. <laughs> you give me the worst, not the best. So that was the part that was part of the problem with Israel. That's why they were in such dire straits you know i mean every time you know they get into this thing god had to chasten them god takes them into some captivity into some you know bondage into some exile away from their 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 land and but now see god you know if we were god we'd just say you're out of here you know that's it but god loves these people and to be honest with you i have to say why i don't know but i have to say that about us too God loves us. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but that's a good thing because you know what? If, he knew, if, if we knew why He loved us then we would have to say that He loves us only because of what we may do or what we may say or what we may act upon. In other words, we might merit that love. No. You see, bottom line is God loves us in spite of us. That's how great the, God, the, the, the love of God is that He loves us in spite of us. He took Israel, you know, you read in Deuteronomy 7, He took Israel and He said to them, I, You know, I didn't love you because you were greater than all the others and you were mightier than all the others. You know,
1: That's
0: because I loved you. And I called you to be mine. Now some Jewish people may, may tend to appear to be somewhat, somewhat arrogant if they say, well, we're God's people. But in reality, they struggle with that. In truth, we as Christians can say, but yet must say in humility, we are God's people, we humble ourselves to the God who has loved us
1: in spite of us.
0: Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Wow. Let's go on. Verse 2. The Gentiles see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. When the Lord lifts up Jerusalem and then the nations will see it and be brought to trust in the Lord themselves. This is what is being said. Jerusalem is lifted up. The nations will see and they will in turn bring glory you see. And, and, and this is, of course, a reference to the, to the Messiah's presence and, and to the Messiah's reign being centered in Zion, being centered in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is going to reign. And if Messiah is the believer's glory and righteousness, how much more will he be Israel's glory and righteousness? You see, if people see Israel lifted up by God and they, and they see their righteousness, are they really seeing the righteousness of Israel or are they seeing the righteousness of their Messiah? When they see the glory of Israel, are they seeing really the glory of their Messiah? You think about it in these terms, if we go back to the the New Testament for just a moment, and and we think of what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 30 and 31, Paul, uh, Paul says, But if... But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So if, if there's something to glory about for us, it's got to be in the Lord, not in us. Because none of us saved ourselves. We didn't even help to save ourselves. Because we couldn't help to save ourselves. That's how bad we were. Some people think that you can bring good things to God. I talked about this a little bit on Sunday. You can bring good things to God and pile those good things on one side of a, of a scale, and on the other side, hopefully, you know, you have your bad deeds, but if you have more good deeds than bad deeds, uh, you know, you've outweighed them. But that's not how God works here. We're all, we're all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who who is good and so when we came to the realization that we're not do we bring good things to the Lord to say look Lord well, look at what we done look at what I did uh, you know maybe huh? maybe just a little peek or what no we do bring one thing we do bring one thing into our salvation and it's nothing to be proud of nothing to boast in we bring our sinful life And we say, this is all we are. And I realize I have sinned against you. I have sinned completely against you. I've sinned against no one but you, even though I've sinned against many. But I come seeking your mercy and your forgiveness. And I desire to be changed into the likeness of Christ, who loved me, gave Himself for me. It's not I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. It's His righteousness. It's His glory. It's His work. It's His salvation. You see. Paul says in Ephesians 4.24, he says, "...and that you put on the new man." Now, that, that's very figurative in the sense of putting on something like a garment. And, and so he says that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we put on Christ, we are putting on the righteousness that is Christ. Therefore, when Jerusalem is lifted up by God, you see, then it is that righteousness of Christ It is that righteousness of Messiah. It is the glory of Messiah that is shining bright in Israel. The work that God is going to do for Jerusalem is intended to have a greater effect than just for Jerusalem itself. It is to extend to the Gentiles and the kings of all the nations. We are living proof of that as Christians who have come to the Messiah of Israel. To be our Lord and to be our Savior. Now this will be the response to such a great transformation. Uh, And with such a transformation, this will come with a new name. As our text says, think of it, a new heart, a new situation, a new earth as it were. And a new righteousness demand a new name. We'll see shortly what that name will be since the mouth of the Lord will name it. But notice verse 3 if you will. You shall also be a crown of glory... In the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Now having a new name means that it will have a new righteous character. When you have that name that God gives to you, it it is reflective of a new righteous character. So what, what name was given to us? In the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. In heaven and earth and under the earth. and Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That name has been given to us. We're called Christians. Followers of Jesus. That's who we are. It's a beautiful name. I mean, we'll still have our other names. I mean, that's how we're going to know each other, you know. But uh, we're going to be real thankful that the new... Charlie is a whole lot better than that old one. And all of your names too. You shall be a crown of glory. In the hand of the Lord. You know, having a having that name. You know, think about it. Uh, is a crown. It says, like a, like a crown or a diadem. By the by the way, a diadem here. The, this particular word in the in the Hebrew means a large metal ring worn around the head. And sometimes when you see crowns uh, that are worn on heads, you know, with a lot of jewels, they're like metal rings. They're just like big huge rings that go on the head. They don't even look comfortable. You know, you can't size it. New Era doesn't make them yet. You know, and so they're not adjustable you just got to have to fit it on your head and, and so that, that's what a diadem is and, 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 a, and so this crown or diadem adorns a person's head and, and Jerusalem will be that adornment to the Lord but I want you to notice something I want you to notice that it isn't on his head look what it says you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God It makes me, makes me think about, you know, uh, I'm not saying this about the Lord, of course, but uh, you know, he's, got his, he's got his crown in his hand, you know, and, and uh, I always think about you know, how people wear their caps nowadays, you know, uh, it, it's just funny, you know, you've got these bills on these caps and they put them over to the side and I'm thinking, dude, the bills for you, you know, keep the sun out of your eyes, or they put it in the back. And and I I heard somebody say one time, oh yeah, you know, there was this one guy wearing this hat with a bill backwards and he said, boy, I should wish they made these so that they could cover, you know, the sun from your eyes. All you got to do is turn it around, you know. (sighs) It didn't work. I don't know why he said that. I have no idea. But anyway. So here's, here's this crown in a hand, you know, you think it'll go in the head, but he's got it in the hand. Why? You see, the mention of the hand has to be figurative for being Under the Lord's
1: protection.
0: Think about it for just a moment. Think about this statement in Deuteronomy 33 verse 3. Yes, He loves the people. All His saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. The very thought of of being safe in the hands of God. And it's telling us here that Jerusalem is going to be safe in the hand of their God. Protection. Uh, I I, I could only think of of what Jesus said in John chapter 10, uh, in verses 27 to 30, when He said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them. And they follow Me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of My hand isn't that a safe place you know we have various places around the city you know businesses establishments of one sort or another that have a sign that says a safe place for kids you know if somebody's chasing your kids or they're scared about somebody that they see they can run when they have they see the sign they can run to this place and and be safe there but what if the place is locked and nobody's there (laughs) <laughs> like it was on Sunday at the at the swimming pool where we went for the baptisms <laughs> we're going let us in <laughs> and I know that's when I noticed it they said safe place but if nobody's here dial this number hey what if it's a kid who has no phone so I thought it's not so safe in some cases but Jesus said neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand now if Jesus says that that's pretty safe but then look at what he says after that he says my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand I mean that's double safety and then he says I and my father are one don't you just want to be safe in the hands of Jesus and in the hands of the father Now, who's going to bother him Who's going to go up to him and say, Open your hand. We want what's inside. Says, no way. They're mine. I'm protecting them. Please don't wander away from the hands of the Lord. I think we maybe all have learned the lesson. When we think that we're smart enough, wise enough, strong enough to say, Lord... I'll be right back. i got some things to do on my own, Lord. And we walk away. And Now the Lord's close enough. But when that surprise hits, when that unexpected event happens outside of the hand of God, We have to run right back into it. And God's going to have his hand open to get you. Because he loves you. But don't walk away. It's not wise. Let's remember who we are. He's God and we're not. He's wise and we're not. He's righteous and we need his righteousness so we can shine. Now in verse 4, let's get back to our text here. Verse 4 of our text, we're given the, name, of the uh, name by the mouth of the Lord. Isaiah 62, verses 4 and 5. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. And these are particular names actually given. But you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. War, defeat, and desolation were experiences that Jerusalem and Israel knew firsthand. God's people knew what it was like to feel forsaken they knew what it was like to feel desolate adopting those names as their very own we've been forsaken by God can can you turn back just for a moment this isn't in my notes but I it just comes to mind if you go back to Isaiah 49 for just a moment And do you remember this passage here in verse 14? But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. And then the response to that statement, verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? And you know what our answer was? Yeah, she sure could forget. How many girls are giving birth today and just dumping their, their babies uh, on somebody else's laps or, or maybe even like one person did a few years ago, give birth at a prom and then leave the baby in a trash can. Can a mother forget? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. The same hands we were talking about earlier. The hands that would protect Israel and Jerusalem. Isn't that an interesting thing? They said that God has forsaken us and forgotten us. So they adopted those names as their own. All this down through the ages and even to the Holocaust by those who endured it. We have been forsaken. The land has been made desolate. But the days of being forsaken and desolate will soon pass. Even today, the land is nowhere near what it was when certain Bible teachers and scholars over a generation ago were still commenting on the desolateness of the land of Israel, which they called Palestine at the time, because there really wasn't an Israel. But I can assure you today, there is an Israel... And you can go and see it, and you can see the things that God has done and is doing to prepare us for what He's already said He's going to do in the book of Isaiah. Today, God's hand can be seen in the beauty of the orchards in the desert, fruit everywhere where there was nothing but dust and sand and rock. Isaiah 35, just going back in in reference to just what we've studied already. Then the lame, verse 6, Then the lame shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the dumb sing, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Those of you who remember Ronnie Simone, who was here, uh, our tour guide from the last trip we were on a few months ago when he was here, was talking about how, how the, their desalination plant was, was just you know, taking you know, the salt water from the sea and beginning to turn it into fresh water. I, I mean, going on even at, at present in a greater way than in any other nation today. God is already taking the city of Jerusalem itself and changing it from a place of desolation and of disappointment into a place of His delight. Sometimes believers in Christ, and and this this is what we need to consider for ourselves, sometimes believers in Jesus Christ think that God sees them in terms of disappointment. For example, and by the way, maybe that sometimes comes from... You know, from preachers that are just a little bit too uh, legalistic, you know. You can't do this, you can't do that. Can't you Can't you read the sign? I took that from an old 60s song, by the way. But that's the way some people see it. They see themselves in terms of disappointment in God's eyes. For example, these are quotes from actual employee performance evaluations. So those of you that do evaluations and stuff these are actual ones maybe you wrote this I don't know here it is one of them since my last report this employee has reached rock bottom and has started to dig (laughs) here's another one works well under constant supervision and cornered like a rat in a trap here's another one this employee should go far and the sooner he starts the better One guy writes, he would argue with a signpost. When his IQ reaches 50, he should sell. And my favorite, the wheel is turning, but the hamster is dead. Okay. Ever felt like that? You may feel like God thinks about you like this, but the truth is, you are His delight. You are His delight. What are his thoughts towards you right now? So you could probably make up thoughts, but what are his thoughts towards you right now? Let me give you a little help here. Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than... Can be numbered. Consider the context of what he's saying. Your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted. Your wonderful works toward us. Psalm 139 verse 17. One of my favorite verses of scripture. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. My favorite verse of Scripture is Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future. And a hope. What thoughts does he have towards you? Disappointment? Phil Kegge years ago sang a song called Disappointment. His appointment. Change one letter and you'll see. The serving of God's purpose is our better choice for thee. One letter. You're either a disappointment or you're His appointment. I'd rather be His appointment. Sometimes there's disappointing things along the way but you know for the most part He's always there and He says, Hey, I'm here because I love you and I delight in you. Would you delight in me? I think that's sometimes the thing that's missing. That we're not delighting in the Lord. I wonder sometimes what, pe- what people are thinking. Now, I'm not thinking about this about you guys here. Not one of you here. But I sometimes wonder, you know, in other times, in other places, you know, other people, you know, where you're singing songs of praise and thanksgiving unto God, and they're just like, When is this over? You know? Don't you delight in the Lord? Don't you think it's a wonderful thing when God hears you come in here singing, Praise be to God! Praise and thanksgiving to the God who made us and created us and watches over us and gives us everything we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. Isn't it just great to delight in the Lord? Instead of being stumps on a log. But do you you want to know where God made us His delight? God made us His delight at the cross. We read this not too long ago and we studied it. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. And I can say this, that if God did that for us, and if Jesus Christ did that through His, through his sacrifice for us, it wasn't with disappointment It wasn't with this idea of saying, I've got to save these dumb sheep. No, he did it with delight. He did it with love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Get this into your heart and into your mind and into your whole being. How much God loves you and delights in you. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, I've got to die for these people. Dumb people. No. He knew we were dumb already, but that's not why. He knew. Turn to Hebrews. This is not my nose again, but you know, this, this has to be mentioned. Hebrews chapter 12. This one word, one word here. Looking unto Jesus. Verse 2, by the way. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the beginning and the ending, the starting line the finish line of our faith, who for the joy... You see that word? You see it? It's not up there. It's, that's the cross, yes. You see it in your in your scriptures. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Who for the joy, you see it? I want to see it in your face, you see? Who for the joy, said before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hey, folks, who for the joy,
1: sat before him, no disappointment.
0: He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. That could be pretty disappointing. He he knows what you're going to do. You know, as soon as you leave here, he knows right now what you're thinking. Well, I wish Charlie would hurry up. He knows you're thinking, and yet he's delighting in you. As for Israel, getting back to Israel, as for Israel, there will come a day when Zion and God's people will know the unbroken presence and love of God as a wife should know the presence and love of her husband. That's why He calls them Beulah, which means married. In fact, Revelation 19 verse 7 foresees this. To some extent as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. When you get back over to verse 5 of Isaiah 62, it says, For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. Meaning, coming back into the possession of the land, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The sense of this passage is that the holy city will be repossessed by children of Israel, and, and the Lord will rejoice over Jerusalem like a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. They will know how much he loves them, his feelings toward them being much more than an obligation. You see, here again, the question to us is do we come to church out of obligation or do we come because we love God? Do we love Jesus? I remember as a Catholic, we had days of obligation. I never saw anybody happy. I got to go. It's an obligation. I got an obligation to be here. I'd rather be somewhere else, but I got an obligation. I am not want fun of the people who are sincere about their, their faith, but I'm, I'm just telling you, man, this is the way it is. Sometimes even in the church today. Uh oh, it's like an obligation. I've got go to be here, i got to go Where are you going? Oh, i got to go to church. you got to go? I want to go. What a difference. So, where was I? Oh, listen to this beautiful verse, Zephaniah. This is a hard one. It's, it's a long word that starts with a Z. Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 beautiful it says in that day it shall be said to Jerusalem do not fear Zion let not your hands be weak the Lord your God in your midst the mighty one will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will rejoice over you with singing I would love to hear the Lord sing man that's just got to be beautiful isn't that something The Lord will be singing to Jerusalem. Paul understood this. Ephesians 3 verses 18 and 19. For us, he says, May you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God to know the love of Christ. oh what beautiful words but we got to move fast I'm going to put it in overdrive now so be ready the Lord now makes a promise to protect Zion in the next chapter in the next part of the verse Uh, I should say the next part of the chapter verse 6 let's get there very important passage too he says I have set watchmen on your walls O Jerusalem they shall never hold their peace day or night you who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent in other words keep bothering me okay that is in essence what he's saying Keep bothering me. Don't be silent and give him no rest. Speaking of God, give him no rest. Give me no rest till he establishes until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, surely I will no longer give your grain as food for your enemies. That's what was happening when Jerusalem would you know, disobey the Lord and the Lord had to bring about this, this kind of chastisement through these nations coming. They would take their food, you know, and the sons of the foreigners shall not drink your new wine for which you have labored. Notice verse 9, But those who have gathered it shall eat, shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. Now, in the ancient world, watchmen were stationed on the walls of the city many times in a tower that was designed for watchmen To watch for the approach of enemies toward the city. Now while on guard, they were never to sleep. What good is a watchman that sleeps? So they had to stay awake. They had to be alert always. Symbolically, the prophets were the watchmen of Israel. And in this passage, this is no exception. Based on the phrase in verse 6, You who make mention of the Lord. Well, that's the prophet. They were to always make mention of the Lord. And they were to be alert on Jerusalem's behalf. They were to give themselves and God no rest until He establishes Jerusalem as the praise of the earth. So that's why He says, keep bothering me. Give me no rest until this happens. Ezekiel chapter 3, this is just to give you an indication of the prophets being the watchmen. Ezekiel 3.17, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Ezekiel thirty three verse seven. So you son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. In, Jeru- in, in Jeremiah, by the way, you don't have to turn there, but in Jeremiah chapter six. There's mention of a watchman that God has given you know him to be a watchman, and, or, or given Israel watchmen to tell them to warn them, but they wouldn't listen. So see, so the problem is if the watchman is doing his part, you know he's saying, "Here's the danger. Here's coming. Be ready." But if the people don't want to listen, what's going to happen? It doesn't matter how alert the watchman is, things aren't going to happen. At least for Israel. The enemy is going to come and take them. Verse 8 and 9, deal with the promise made by the Lord that Jerusalem will no longer be plundered by those who would steal her grain or new wine. Instead, they will eat their own food and be allowed uh, allowed freely to worship in the promised land. So, again, they're they're going to be worshiping once again. And and there is also, in verse 9, an anticipation of the rebuilding of the temple. Notice, it says, those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. So the anticipation is that there is going to be a temple. There's no temple there now. The only thing on the temple mount are Muslim mosques. But this is telling us that won't be for very long. I have no idea what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. But that's, that's, a, that's a powder keg right there. But God's in control. Praise the Lord. We're not. So we can just thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I don't have to mess with that. So, verse 10 now. It says, Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up a banner for the peoples. now, The way that this is written here, it is almost as if the Lord is on His way. And the people are being encouraged to get the city ready for Him. In fact, in the next chapter, we will see Messiah coming to Jerusalem. Previously in Isaiah, Isaiah, promises were made for this massive pilgrimage to Zion. We studied them before. Uh, Going all the way back to Isaiah, verse I'm sorry, Isaiah 11, verse 12. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So preparations being made for this banner. Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert, a highway for our God. Now, that was also used by whom? John the Baptist for the first coming of Jesus. Isaiah 57, verse 14. And one shall say, heap it up, heap it up. In other words, building up the road. Prepare the way, take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. So we've, we've covered these things, talking about the road that's being built into Jerusalem. But not only will the people be able to come then, but because of the banners, they will be attracted to come. That is the whole idea for the banners themselves. Yet the greatest attraction for them all is still to come. And that is what we see in verses 11 and 12 as we get ready to close this passage. It says, Indeed the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, His reward is with Him and His work before Him. And they shall call them the holy people. In other words, by the way, that's like saying the saints. The separated people, the saints. The redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out. A city not forsaken. In other words, what was once forsaken shall now be the city that is being sought after by all the nations, by all the peoples at the time of the return of Jesus Christ. This announcement is significant for the present hour as well. It is a proclamation that goes to the ends of the earth. The salvation of Israel is part of God's overall plan of salvation. And I mean that in this way jewish people today still need to know that jesus is israel's messiah they still need to hear the gospel i know that there are some people today who are considered christian zionists that uh, you know they say you know we're 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 100 behind israel we're going to back them up we back them up in prayer and all but you know we want to also just kind of let them be israel because god will take care of them what an opportunity to preach the gospel Well, they'll be offended. Hey, that's what Jesus said would happen anyway. Talked about this on Sunday as well, about the offense. But they still need to hear, and they still need to know. It is a beautiful thing. We have we have some messianic Jews in our congregation. Those of you who came to uh, to the seder a couple of weeks ago, remember, what Jeremy was saying about his own testimony, coming to Christ. Because he heard the gospel. You see, we have not to be afraid to let people know that Jesus is their Messiah. Paul says in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first. That's right there. (laughs) For the Jew first. And also for the Greek or Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. An interesting thought for you. I heard it on a, a teaching I was listening to by a, a Jew named Avi Lipkin, who is a speaker that oftentimes speaks for Chuck Missler in some of his conferences. But uh, He said, you know, Christians you're no longer gentiles because to the jewish mindset a gentile was somebody who was involved in their pagan practices he says you've come to christ you've been grafted in (laughs) so don't consider yourself gentiles in that sense thought it was a wonderful thing coming from a jew telling us that (laughs) anyway gotta go on so when he comes his reward is going to be with him as the text says Something that is repeated in Revelation 22, verse 12. It says, And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now, you know, we have to understand reward here is not always just something that is wonderful and good, and, you know, you got enough, you know, uh, flying points, you know, with Southwest, and that's a reward thing, you know. It's always supposedly a good thing. Well, let me, let me just say that uh, Paul understood this as well in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11. When he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. <laughs> so, you know, well, we've all done good and bad. But then he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we do persuade men, but we are well known to God and I also trust are well known in your consciences. But the point being is that, yes, He will come. And He's coming with rewards for Jerusalem. He's coming. And does anyone deserve them, by the way? Does any, do any of us here deserve the things that God has given us? I, I don't deserve anything God has given. Israel is going to find out they deserve nothing. But they get everything because of God's love for them. And so when Jesus comes again, He's not only going to bring rewards, He's going to give them more new names. have even more new names like some of us have a whole bunch of email addresses but this is better because they describe again the character Israel will be called the holy people the redeemed of the Lord and Jerusalem will be called sought after the city no longer deserted the Lord will have no rest until he accomplishes his purposes for his people and the world will have no peace till he succeeds in other words Israel and Jerusalem his special people his special city are still a work in progress he isn't finished with them yet but how glorious it will be when he does come to complete his work in them and in us as well let me leave you with this last passage from 2 Timothy 4 Verses 17 and 18, Paul says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Notice verse 18. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. God will deliver not only us as individuals from every evil work and preserve us for his heavenly kingdom. This is what we have seen that God is doing and going to do for his holy city and his special people, Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shall we pray?